Conversations with Catholic Voices. Tackling the tough questions with Daniel Noor and Catholic Voices Australia. Hello, Cradio listeners. My name is Daniel Noor. I'm a young Catholic, a convert to the faith, with lots of questions on my mind. We're living in times of social and political upheaval, and there are so many hot topics and issues in circulation in the news and in the workplace and at university as well. And so I have a thirst to get things straight on the major theological, social, political, and moral problems that face the church today. This is Conversations with Catholic Voices. Cradio, which is Sydney's seminal network for young Catholics, have once again given to me today a representative of the church, and it's Paul Sheehan, who uh, I'm enjoying the company of today. How are you, Paul? Hi, Daniel. Very good. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Uh, Paul, could you maybe tell listeners a little bit about yourself and your interests? So I have a background in mathematics and physics and doing research, and my interests in terms of my faith, I guess I have an interest in theology and in particular things like Theology of the Body by John Paul II, um, but I've always had an interest in um, Islam and the, the Muslim community. Um, it's always fascinated me as a culture and I guess with everything in the news lately, it's um, you know it's made me and a lot of other people think a lot more about how we relate to Muslims and mm. how we should relate to Muslims. Uh, it is a... Uh very convenient interest of yours because it does make you the perfect candidate for our conversation today with that advocacy group for the church, Catholic Voices. And listeners, as you may have picked up, it's the church and the Muslim community, which we hope to talk to you about in the next 20 minutes. Okay. Uh, Now, there are a couple of issues in the news at the moment um, for anyone who hasn't been living under a rock, Um, what with ISIS and the militant um, army that is being formed there in Iraq um, and the various beheadings and and just kind of the heinous crimes uh, against journalists that we've seen in that country. Uh, But before we get into that, um, serious as it is, Paul, we were hoping to uh, outline for our listeners uh, how it is that we as Christians, and more specifically as Catholics, should address our Muslim neighbours and family and friends. So, uh, to start then, uh, there is this war on Christians that we've heard about in the news so often lately. In The Spectator, an article was written by John Allen Jr., and uh, if you Google listeners war on Christians, Spectator UK, uh, it, it will come up. Uh, and in this article, uh, Alan, or Mr. Alan Jr., uh, goes on to imagine that. Imagine being Alan Jr. Can you imagine how great Alan Sr. must have been? But in any case, uh, what he claims is that with society's kind of obsession with political correctness and the unfashionableness of Christianity in the public sphere today, there is a clandestine war on 
Christians in parts of the world, not to mention in the West itself, which I, I think is the subtext, uh, that is not being given the airtime of other minority persecution uh, in the news. And my question to you, Paul, and one that I uh, put out there um, in the FR is, does it matter? Does it matter ultimately that Christians should be categorically labelled and grouped as the victims of this notional war when sectarian violence, for example, has also been the cause of the death and persecution of so many other religious the world over? For example, there's that Muslim sectarianism that we've seen in Egypt where Muslim Brotherhood members are hated by other Muslims in their own country. So what I ask is, does it matter that we should be singled out as victims in this way when there has always been sectarianism? I think it does matter. I mean, as you say, there's a lot of persecution around the world. A lot of different cultures and a lot of different religions are persecuted. Um, Even, as you said, Muslims are persecuting other Muslims. Uh, But I guess perhaps what isn't known is that Christians are also persecuted because we often hear about Muslims in the third world or Hindus or whatever it might be, any other religion or culture and their persecution. So, and quite often the other thing to remember is that Christianity is often associated with countries like America and America are are usually blamed for persecuting uh, Muslims in the third world. So Christianity is often associated with the the person doing the persecuting, not the person being um you know persecuted so yes, with the powerful i think it's yeah i think it's important that we highlight it but it's not as long as uh, you know people understand that persecution occurs across a whole variety of cultures and religions i think what this article is doing though it's highlighting it for the the people that don't often realize that and even when i was reading that article i was quite surprised at the you know the breadth of persecution of christians all around the world Mm. Can you cite any of those examples from memory? It's, a, it's, like yeah. a, it's like a test here. Yeah, well, I read through the article and I, I noted a, a few down. Um, uh, and, you know, it's not, not just in places um, like Iraq and Syria. Uh, there's probably another well-known one is in Nigeria where mm. there's an Islamic movement that are persecuting a lot of people there, including Christians. Uh, North Korea is another one. Uh, India, there was um, some fundamental Hindus that were going around persecuting Christians. So, yeah, parts of the world that I I hadn't realised that this persecution was going on, so it was quite surprising. Yes, that, yeah, no, that, there, there is that. I am concerned that sometimes Christians play up their victimhood. One thing, for example, is, and I hope this isn't a totally different ball game, but for example, the crimes of the Catholic Church, where we cry foul of the media in moments of particular scrutiny, and we say, well, actually, you know, we shouldn't be held to this light because people have agendas and uh, the church is not as bad as people say, and, and these excuses have always seemed somewhat pitiful to me. But I suppose what I'm trying to say is that... Um, we live in the real world, and uh, I, as a Christian myself, but I hope also as an observer, I, I would think that wherever there is truth, uh, there also, it also follows that there's to be uh, you know, a fight to defend and protect it, and 
certainly, you know, there have been other great martyrs for wonderful causes. Are we yes. just doing, in a way, what is expected of us? Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned persecution of Christians in the West, and, yeah, I mean, it's a different kind of persecution. I, I think of things like same-sex marriage. Christians are often persecuted and, and labelled as intolerant, um, and, that, and that's completely misunderstanding the argument. Um, but, yeah, look, I think it's important to remember, um, you know, there's all sorts of persecution, and, you know, the persecution that we experience in the West is very different to what, the persecution that's going on in the Middle East. Yes. Um, so it's, yeah, it's different, but it's important to understand there's, there's all sorts of, all types of persecution. Yes. All right, uh, Paul, I'm going, I think, to get into it now, uh, and that is you mentioned to me, just as uh, uh, we were talking directly before the beginning of our interview, that there have been significant challenges to the social order of Western secular democracies being posed by a a kind of Islamist streak. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I think Islam brings a a fundamentally different culture to what we're used to in the the West, and we're becoming used to it, but there are still elements of it that, you know, I think for people that live in Australia and other countries in the West, it's it, it presents a you know a stark difference to the way we've been raised, um, and that's very hard for people to understand and deal with. Yes, you were saying that there is a difference in culture, difference in the way that I suppose Anglo-Saxons have been raised. Is that what you're claiming? Yeah, well, also in the way uh, you know we live and we interact with each other. So if you look at something like the way. Um, Islamic women dress with the burqa. It's a fundamentally different way to the way we relate to people. Um, you know, when we talk to someone, we shake their hand, we look at their face. Um, whereas from the Islamic point of view, it's, you know, they they dress very differently. So that's very confronting for us and particularly confronting because we don't understand why women wear the burqa or choose to wear the burqa. And it's quite often that, misunderstanding that leads to the fear and um, of things like Islam. Yes, there is that fear. I worry sometimes that that fear has been capitalised on by people. I, I do worry that, that that fear is the means to a more insidious end, which is one for political gain, uh, one for strict and inhumane asylum policy uh, and refugee policies and the kind of thing that uh, has been, you know, the the criticism of of the world, really, and yes. also very right wing political movements. The like, you know, the the kind of movements that pop up, flare up, become very popular for a time, and then go away. And yes. uh, that that's that's where I would I would be concerned that that fear is being used in a in a propagandist way. Yeah, and I think it's it's one thing to have. Um, distrust and a fear of a ideology or a way of life but then to project that onto people onto muslims and have a fear of them is that's when it really gets out of hand and that's when we see you know um violence and this kind of thing yes um so it's important that people remember that difference i i would ask then we've seen a lot of vitriol um for example 
there has been an article by, uh, I think it was Andrew Bolt that I saw, uh, some statements that he made, I think in the Telegraph, where the, this, the, uh, the Sydney Telegraph, which uh, used the phrase uh, and, and reflecting on a very um, well-respected and noted political scientist, a man called Walid Ali, who is an Australian Muslim, said that Walid Ali is something like the moderate, the, what did he say? Uh, oh yes, the, the poster child moderate Muslim or something to yes. that effect. And yes, I remember. Yes. And anyway, this phrase, this phrase moderate Muslim, isn't it true that this panders more to Western prejudices about Islam than it does to any kind of real conception of a religion. Islam is a faith which contains a swathe of intellectual traditions. And so I, uh, I would want your comment about that, first of all. Yeah, and I think that's the confusing thing because people see images of the Islamic terrorist on TV and in the news and they form a certain idea of what Islam is. And certainly there are, I mean, those terrorists claim to be Muslims and they, they, they live the Islamic life. So it's understandable that link is made. But then we also see the, the more moderate Muslim in our own Western communities. And I think that confuses people because then they ask, well, which is the real Islam? Which is the real Muslim? Yes. Um, so, yeah, and I guess that, and that's where that fear comes from, that we will eventually see that fundamental kind of Islam in Australia and then, you know, you have situations where mosques are being built in communities that have never had a mosque and people see that as a step towards a more fundamental Islam that's coming to their communities and that's when people really get afraid. And, Paul, I, I will, this will be my last word on the matter, but that conservatism in those communities and the kind of conservatism that maybe Sarah Palin spoke of when she referred to the American heartland. And we've seen it in political movements here in Australia as well. You know, we've seen like the, the idea of a real Australia and then of a fake Australia and this idea yes. that in the country towns. And I think where was it that they were going to build a mosque and then it got turned down? Starts with I think it was, well, the, the one I was referring to was, I think it was Bendigo or Ballarat. Okay. Yes. You're in Australia. Yeah. Well, anyway, th these aren't new, uh, these aren't new fears. Glenn Beck in America, Alan Jones here, and not, not to mention Andrew Bolt, have all categorically labelled that religion the cause of social, I mean Islam, the cause of social conflict, the cause of terrorism, the, the cause of outright evil in its own right. And uh, in the popular mind, Christianity, because of the activity of certain loud Christians, and I mean people like well, the Westboro Baptists, for example, and, and others as well, others as well, less extremist Christians, all hate Muslims and they see them as a threat to their social monopoly. And uh, I, I would, um, maybe I would just briefly ask for your comment there. But really what I want to know, Paul, is how then, with all of that in mind, are we to really engage in a dialogue with Muslims while being respectful of the nuances? And what is the ultimate goal of that dialogue? So I've kind of put two, uh, two thoughts together there, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, it's difficult because I, I do sympathise with uh, the average Australian who, who feels that their way of life is threatened because Islam, it is the type of religion 
that is fundamentally different, as I've said before. It it uh, it doesn't differentiate between church and state like Christianity does. Mm-hmm. It tends to, in more fundamental areas of Islam anyway, it tends to impose its teaching instead of proposing as Christianity does. And you've got to remember a lot of Western society people, even if they're not Christians, they're they're brought up in what was a Christian country and it does have Christian principles, even if they're not Christians themselves. Yes. So, you know, you know, Islam presents a challenge to that. And, you know, the way we have to to deal with that is to understand, you know, if we're not if if Australians choose to no longer uphold certain Christian beliefs and teachings, if we're truly a multicultural, secular society, then we need to understand that there are different cultures like the Islamic culture that is going to come to Australia and want to build mosques in our streets. Uh, so we shouldn't be surprised at that and we shouldn't be angry when it happens. And the way it's important that we understand how to engage it, though, um, and I think there's a few ways we can do it, a few ways we can dialogue. Yes. The Islamic community. I, I, I think that's the key. Uh, so, what what would the what are those those ways of dialogue? Well, first of all, so we, we need to um, dialogue first of all, so that they have a better understanding of of us as Australians um, and Christians and whatever other religions people might be here in Australia. And we need to dialogue dialogue with Islam, so we can have a better understanding of what Islam is. And I think that forms the basis for then further dialogue. Once you understand where another person comes from and they understand where you come from and you eliminate so many of those misunderstandings and fears, then you can have real dialogue. And the real dialogue, I think, should be finding what we have in common. So speaking as a Christian, um, you know, uh, Muslims and Christians are both pro-life. There's so much we can do in the pro-life movement where we have similar beliefs um, on the issue of same-sex marriage, Interesting. we have the same same belief as marriage between a man and a woman. There's so many different areas. Uh, charity is another one. Uh, but then, you know, going beyond that, I think there's also room for a more academic dialogue where we can actually talk about history and and identify points where Islam and Christianity differ in their opinions and maybe even encourage dialogue about truth itself and why do they see Islam as the truth and why do we see Christianity as the truth? Ultimately, they believe what they believe is correct and we believe what we believe is correct, but we should be able to dialogue about that and and perhaps either agree to disagree or or maybe even advance, um, you know, our understanding of truth. Yes, some kind of mutual benefit there. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, that's that's it for now. But uh, I invite listeners to join us in our next segment uh, on this same very broad topic of the church and the Muslim community, where we will be looking no longer at uh, our perhaps uh, internal um, domestic uh, approach to um, the Muslim tradition and various uh sex of Islam in our Australian society, but we begin to look out at the persecution of Christians in Syria, Iraq, and the Arab world in general, Muslim-Christian relations, especially in countries with interreligious tension and conflict, for example, uh, Egypt and Lebanon, and the quality of life for impoverished Muslims 
all over the world. And of course, we hope to touch on Islamism and the movements we've seen, uh, the cause of violence in Iraq and in Palestine, Hezbollah and ISIS. So these are things that you can uh, be sure to uh, join us for in our next segment. And I'd like to thank you, Paul, for your time. And I invite all of our listeners to stay tuned and perhaps to check out some of the other great podcasts right here on Cradio. So thank you, Paul. Thanks, Daniel. Look forward to our next conversation. Thank you. You've been listening to Conversations with Catholic Voices. Stay tuned for more episodes at cradio.org.au and for more information on Catholic Voices Australia, visit catholicvoices.org.au. radio.org.au